0: Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, there are other verses in this text. But I want to focus on this, their prayer, because that is at the heart of the chapter. So picking back up in verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn. Can you turn me down a little bit? The lapel mic needs to come down a little bit. They became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion do not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not lead them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples, and a lot of them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Shon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And you gave them into their hand with their kings and their peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat and reveled in your great goodness. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs. And killed your prophets who admonished them, so they may not return to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. So they were ruled over them. When they cried out, when they cried again to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion, and admonished them in the order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sin against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your Spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them to the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It only takes a spark. It's a line I remember from another song I learned when I was about a young teenager. only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all's around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you experience it, you want to sing, you want to shout, you want to pass it on. That's how that song goes. And I thought about what's happening in the story at this point. And this Prayer they offer before God. But before we get there, I came across a firm that I didn't not know about called Edelman. It's spelled E-D-E-L-M-A-N. Didn't know this thing even existed, but as I prepared, I came across a report that they do. Now they're a global communication firm that partners with businesses and organizations. To evolve, promote, and protect their brands and reputations. Now, some of the clients of this firm are Samsung, Hewlett-Packard, Shell, Johnson & Johnson, and eBay, just to mention a few. Now, they had this report that came out January the 13th of this year, and it's called Edelman Trust Barometer 2021. Now, in the midst of this report are a lot of things, but I want to focus on one thing that really grabbed my attention. It stated in the report, quote, an epidemic of misinformation and widespread mistrust of social institutions and leaders around the world, end of quote. An epidemic of misinformation that we are living in. Now, consider for a moment, The condition of our country. Most news organizations will tell you that our country is indeed cracked, divided, fragmented. The lack of trust there is in our government, in media, in corporations. Indeed, could you say there is an epidemic of misinformation happening in our country, in our society? That's bad. But it's even worse. There seems to be a lack of commitment, dedication, and devotion among God's people here in our country. Our hearts are cold and our vision is clouded. There is a spiritual war, dearly beloved, being waged for the souls of people. And their eternal destination is hanging in the balance. We desperately need a revival, a spiritual awakening among God's people, because revival always start must start with God's people first. That's where it starts. And I have history books in my office. You like to read about the Great Awakenings. Some started in England and came across the pond, as they called it, and spread across America, across denominational lines. In fact. There is one revival that started just because of a prayer service. As they came and they prayed, people were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, hey, so-and-so just got saved. And they would cheer and they pray more. Spent days in prayer. Spent days doing that. You had the old haystack revival. John Wesley was a part of that. Who started the Methodist church. Can I ask you a question and myself? As well, what will it take to spark the fire of revival in your heart? A revival that will spread from right here into the streets of Forrestburg, around Monte County, North Texas, the whole state of Texas, and around our country and indeed touch around the world. Because what we see happening. In chapter nine of Nehemiah, is a revival. People standing and confessing their sin and the sin of their fathers to God. Now I didn't read this verse, but verse one, it tells us that Israel assembled with fasting, in sackcloth and with dirt upon them, or they would take dirt and they throw it on top of their head. That symbolized mourning and humility. It was external demonstration of an eternal condition. They were mourning. They were being humble before God. It was a visible mark of someone's deep sorrow and mourning. And since this was between God and His covenant people, only the covenant people could participate. Look in verse 2. They separated themselves from all foreigners. They separated themselves to God and God alone alone. And look in verse 2 again. They stood in their place and confessed their sins. And look again, the iniquities of their fathers. They just laid it all out there. Taking responsibility and accountability for where they are at this point of the story. And indeed, why they're even there to begin with. Why the wall had to be rebuilt. Why were all these things happening? And They're taking ownership of it. And as I thought about that, I came across another thought. We seem intent on blaming everyone else for what's wrong in our country. But, dearly beloved, for God to move and bring healing and restoration... We must recognize that judgment must begin with God's people by putting God first in every aspect of our lives. And that has to be our number one priority, not to grow the church by numbers, but to be right with God and put him in first place. I remind you, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, if we want things to change, it has to start with me and with you and with everybody else who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The political system can't do it. How much more evidence do we need of that? Yes, be active. Yes, vote. Inform yourself of your vote. But make no mistake about it. No matter who the president is, It's not going to make things right. Only one person can do that. His name is Christ. Look at verse 3. They stood and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. It was read for one-fourth of the day. Six hours. They spent reading. And look what it says again in verse 3. For another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So... They read the word for six hours, and they turned around and they worshiped another six hours. And notice, they weren't sitting in pews in an air conditioned building. They were standing outside when all this happened. They were outside and they were standing up. I, I, I try to picture that in my, in my head as I prepared. I, I thought of Psalm 51, verse 10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That should be my prayer every time I go before God. Not just in corporate worship, but every single time I open his word or go to him in prayer, God, create me a clean heart. I cannot do this without you, God. I need you every single moment. Hearing the word should, I think it does. We just ignore it half the time. A desire to get in a right relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. Now, two edged sword is pretty powerful because you can cut both ways. But look what he says and piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thought and intentions of the heart whoa see i can fool you and yes you can fool me but god knows the intention of my heart and yours it gets right to the chase we must be careful we must be deliberate deliberate in times of confession and worship be thoughtful cautious and dare I say unhurried they spent six hours in case you're wondering I'm not planning to go six hours this morning try and make a point what is it that you like to see God do on any given Sunday morning service what is it you want to see him do but Lord you have to do it between 11 and 12 because it's 12 I gotta go eat if God was to show up and do all these wonderful things. We've been here for quite some time. Now, he's here now. And he wants to do certain things with you and with me. He has all these plans that he's, he wants us to do. But it has to be our decision to do it. Do you remember what Isaiah the prophet saw and his response to it? Go back to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. He says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. And he goes on to say that that wonderful scene that he saw, and he saw God and who God is. And in that moment, God doesn't say a word. Isaiah Isaiah knows who he is in relation to God. I am an unclean man with unclean lips living among unclean people. See, the sight of seeing God sitting on his throne moved Isaiah to see his people his sinfulness, and the people's sinfulness. Is God on the throne of your life? That sight should move you to confession. See, it's easy to see the failures and sins of others' people without even recognizing my own sin and shortcomings. It's easy to see the faults in other people, isn't it? How come that guy doesn't drive like he should? After I did the 75 and cut somebody else a mile back. Now I'm telling on myself. Go ask my wife something of me. Go ahead. It's like, you know, you you brush your teeth and you floss your teeth and you even take the mouthwash. that has fluoride. You get all your teeth clean. You look in the mirror. It look good to me. Everything's all right. And then you go to the dentist. What's one of the first things they do? They put those little things in your mouth. Get your mouth this right. You're like you can't. Then they don't want to ask you how you're doing. You can't really talk. And they put that big apron on. I remember that as a kid. And they get behind the thing. And they they take an X-ray. The X-ray gets right to the point, doesn't it? I didn't know I had a cavity. No, look, I have a cavity. But the X-ray is indicating yes, Tim, you have a cavity. We can take care of that. That's how it is when we get with God. We like to polish everything up on the outside and look good. And don't misunderstand me. I like personal hygiene. I'd rather look good and smell good than be, you know. But God gets past all that, and when his penetrating light gets into our lives, it will reveal anything and everything that we try to cover up. Uh, imagine your heart being a, a house, if you will, or a temple. It's a better way. We invite God in. Okay, God, you can come in, but don't go back there. It's like when you go to my house. Okay, come into the kitchen, but stay right here because we haven't come the house yet. I want you to see that over there. Just, just stay right here. We dealt with God, though, don't we? Come on in, God, but don't go in there. And God's going, well, let me in. And that tension and conviction that we're feeling is God knocking on that door. Part of it say, let me in there. Let's take care of it. But we don't want him in there. Church in America, that I can speak to because I am American. I'm a Christian first, so American second. We have grown apathetic and lazy. Almost so much apathy. Often the case, the church doesn't long to hear the words of God. Rather, they, we seem to be more interested in uh, pleasing or hearing the praises of the world. We need to look up and see God sitting on his throne, recognizing first our own sins and shortcomings and failures that will move us to a place of repentance and getting right with God. Biblical repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, God, I admit and I confess. Yes, I sinned against you. Now, I repent of that, so now I'm going to do everything I can to turn away from that. God, help me put other things in its place, so now I'm going to change my behavior, change where I go, maybe change my friends if need be, because I don't want to be involved in that anymore. You can't do that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit, but that's true repentance, turning away, forsaking all that stuff and say, yes, God, I want you. I don't want to do that anymore. And did you catch a theme in this prayer? Praising God for everything that he did. But then the people would always become disobedient. Look what it says in verse 26 they became disobedient. They rebelled and cast your law behind their backs. That word cast in the Hebrew means to fling. It's not just going, uh, it's like literally taking something and throwing it. That's what that word means. And this is not just for the kings and officials of Judah, this was true of the religious leader and the priests and the prophets as well. He's saying they were disobedient, were rebelled, and just through your law. They didn't care anymore. And dare I say that many people who claim to be followers of Christ today have become just like the people of Jerusalem described in this passage. Oh, we say we believe. but We don't act that way or we constantly run to the Bible as proof text to engage in a behavior that we know to be wrong. The need for turning to God has never been more urgent than today. The latest fads of Christianity, of social Christianity and religious programs, has been able to impede or stop the moral decline of our society and unable to deliver people from their fears. When you spend time in prayer and study you will find that all true revivals begin when we take our rose-colored glasses off of our lives and get right down to the nitty and gritty and throw it all out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, no pun intended. And let God say, so here it all is, God, you deal with it as you see fit." That's when true revival will take place when we take an honest, biblical look at our own spiritual condition. The first step to doing that is letting God search our own hearts. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, oh God. And I warn you now, when you tell God that with a contrite, broken spirit, God, here I am, search my heart, search my mind. He'll bring up things and situations that we don't want to deal with. They're ugly, they're messy. It's like, God, tell me, but Tim, if you want to move further in and really walk with me, we have to deal with this situation. We, this, this is stopping us moving forward. And look in verse 27. After they rebelled and cast their, his law behind their backs, look at in verse 27. When they cried out to you, you heard From heaven. They seem to have to have a crisis to recognize their dependence upon God. Remember 9 11, little day of September? You remember the condition of our country after that? Can you remember the houses of worship across our land, how full they were? See, often we don't realize our need for God until we're facing a crisis here. They don't realize their own need until they're under oppression. Because look at verse 28. As soon as you heard from heaven, you took care of it. Look at verse 28. As soon as they had rest, they did evil again. The cycle repeats itself. Because when things are good, we tend to neglect our dependence upon God. We're always dependent upon God. In verse 31, it says, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them. You see the cycle. It talks about all these great things God has done for the people of Israel. And they would praise him and they'd fall away. And he they'd cry out to him, confess. He'd restore them back. An endless cycle. And when you read the Old Testament, you ever have read the Old Testament? I know it can be difficult at places. God makes a promise, as he pointed out back to Abram, way back in Genesis, to use these people to bless the nations. And as you read the Old Testament, and as they mess up go, how in the world is God going to keep his promise now? But God is so merciful, so compassionate. He doesn't give up. He keeps working. Man, God has a lot of patience. Throughout verses 5, through thirty-seven, you'll see a recognition that God would have been just in putting it into these rebellious people. Yet He kept loving, guiding, and delivering them. Reminds me of Limitations, verse—I mean, excuse me—chapter three, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. The love's the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 36, he says, As to the land which you gave our fathers, we are slaves in it. Now, it's one thing to be a a slave in a foreign land, but quite another to be a slave in your own land. They were living under the, the Persian king, but they desired to live only under God And they conclude in verse 37 that we are in great distress. Lord, we want you to be ruled over us. We don't want any of these foreign kings. We are slaves in our own land. They take everything from us. God, we want you and you alone. And he ends in verse 37, we are in great distress. The people knew that God was their only chance for deliverance, just that he has been for Israel back in Egypt. And they knew the inexhaustibility of God's grace did not give them license to sin. And it was because of their sin that they continued to suffer. And you see that in verses 33 through 37. Now think of all this that's going on in the context of this story. And to really get a full appreciation, you go back and look at Ezra, because Ezra starts the story and it continues on into Nehemiah. In fact, if you have access to the internet, I would encourage you to go back and look at our message page on our website. There is a video there that kind of capsulates in a very small time about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah because in the Hebrew Bible, it's all considered one story or one book. Now, what do you think about America? When you think about the United States of America, what's one word that comes to your mind? Freedom. It's the land of the free. And we're exercising that freedom right now by gathering together to worship God without fear of the government or police officials coming in and arresting us and hauling us to jail or killing us. I thought about that for a very long time. And this came to my mind a long time ago, back in 2001, there was a song that came out called City of Refuge by a group called For Him. Listen to the words. In the land of the free, so many are living in chains. All around us is fear. We push and we pull in our longings for love here in the home of the brave. Wow. Do do you see that happening now in our society, in our culture? Now just put that all in your mind now. Here's some more information. Think about people being in chains, being slaves. According to the American Addiction Centers, in 2017, 19.7 million adults, which is 12-year-olds and older, battled a substance use disorder. 74% of them suffered from alcohol use disorder, or alcohol abuse. They call it use disorder. 38% of them battled illicit drugs, use disorder, One out of every adult struggled with both alcohol and drugs in the year 2017. I realize it's been a few years ago. Let's speed it up. The impact of COVID-19 during the year 2020, we saw a rise in suicide, anxiety, depression, loneliness, the rise in stress due to financial insecurity and isolation. 59% increase in alcohol abuse and opioid overdose. Here's a stat you won't hear reported. 81,000 people died from drug overdoses in a 12-month period during 2020. You hear the song I talk about? Everybody living around us in fear. We push and pull along. for love here in the home of the brave. But the rest of the song goes like this. But in the real world right now, you're weary. You're weak from the fight. Hope is calling out loud. Your freedom is waiting run into the light, leaving the darkness behind. The city of refuge is open tonight. Come inside, come inside. A fortress of healing where the weary can hide. Come inside. come inside, come inside. Calling the hurting, the broken and bruised, Jesus is waiting for you in the city of refuge. So I ask you again, what will it take to spark the fire of revival in your heart. Nehemiah puts emphasis on three great themes. What God has done. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard the cry by the Red Sea, then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Consider us for a moment first Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. You're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. As God let them out of Egypt and out of bondage, Jesus has led us out from bondage of sin and death into life everlasting, what God has done. The second great theme is how people disobeyed God. You see that in verse 26 of chapter 9. We just read it. They became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so they might return to you. Psalm 53, verse 1, also quoted in Romans chapter 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is not not a God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable or repulsive injustice. There is no one who does good. End of quote. We have rebelled against God. And the third great theme you see in Nehemiah 9, what God continues to do in history. Huh. I love verse 31 of chapter 9. In your great compassion, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow about. His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not, washing, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What God has done, how we disobey God, and what God continues to do. We see that even now in our midst. God is continuing to work because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Why has not why has he not sent his son back yet? He's still waiting for more. We desperately need a revival, a spiritual awakening. You look at this story. It starts with them going back, rebuilding the temple. They want to rebuild the walls. It also seems to be yes, it needs to be done, but more and more I convicted about Nehemiah is more about getting right with God and doing everything it takes to get there. They stood there six hours read the book of the law another six hours they worshipped another six hours they confessed what will what will it take to spark a revival in your heart what's going to take we have lots of problems in our country But the answer is not found at the political party. The answer is not found in who the president is. The answer is not found in who the governor of Texas is. It's not found by the city council, or the school board, or the teachers, or the police officer, whoever you want to blame. That's the first thing we got to stop, passing the buck, and take accountability and responsibility for ourselves. It's not going to get any easier, dearly beloved. It's going to continue to get hard. We're going to experience things that we have never experienced in this country for a long time, if ever. We need to be prepared. Are you right with God this morning? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know without a doubt if you were to die today, Where you would spend eternity. And please don't take this lightly. I beg of you. I hope it's in heaven. Because that's where I'm going to be one day. And I want you to be there too. It's not because I'm a pastor. Not because I went to seminary to preach the word. It's because of my faith in Jesus Christ. As my Lord and Savior. You can have the same thing. All you got to do is come up. Admit that you've broken his law. We've all done it. Confess that. That means to agree with God. Yes, I've broken your law. And ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. In that moment, you'll be in a relationship with God. The blood of Christ will cover all your sins. And now you become part of God's family. Perhaps you've done that a while back or last year, a few years, how long ago it's been. But over the years, we can grow cold and indifferent, can't we? get apathetic oh what's the use now i know this to be true because there are some sundays why go preach what's the use i'm just being honest but i know god's called me god has called you god has sustained me god has sustained you god will never forsake me god will never forsake you Can't you see anything those people are desperately trying to tell us from back in Nehemiah's day? They messed up time and time again, yet he never forsook them. He never made an end of them. Because he's a compassionate and gracious God. Now, we'll warn you, there is a day that's going to come to an end. When Christ comes. And it'll be everlasting too late. Why not take just a few minutes right now to make sure where you stand mm-hmm. and go out there and live out that song I started with. It only takes a spark to get a fire going and soon all people can warm themselves by its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you experienced it, you want to shout and you want to sing. You will want to pass it on. They're out there looking for it. I meet people every day at DFW that are so hungry. But they're fearful. So many of them. Big old boys. I mean big old boys. Scared. Wanting what the true answer is. Coming to me asking me. There's people out there looking to you as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could have together. Oh God, we know that you are gracious and you're compassionate. You're merciful and you're forgiving. Our hearts are heavy for the condition in which we find ourselves in our society and culture. God, have mercy on us. Pour out your spirit upon us. May we be faithful to taking your message, your gospel, your salvation out to the people, to loved ones, family members, co workers neighbors. We know time is growing so short. We cry out to you, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just stand with me, please.